This is Fresh Air. I'm David Bean Cooley, professor of television studies at Rowan University in New Jersey, in for Terry Gross. Tom Waits is one of the true eccentrics of pop music. The New York Times once described him as the poet of outcasts. There's always been an element of mystery surrounding his life. The people he usually sings about are loners, losers, hobos, outlaws, and drunks. The darkness of his lyrics is accentuated by the rumble and rasp of his voice, a voice that sounded old even when he was young. Waits has been recording since 1973. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2011. His songs have been used on the soundtracks of several films, and he's acted in the movies Down by Law, Shortcuts, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and The Old Man and the Gun. We're going to listen back to two of our interviews with Tom Waits. When Terry spoke with him in 2002, he just released two lyrical concept albums, Blood Money and Alice, which are now considered some of his finest work. This month, on the 20th anniversary of their release, those albums are being reissued on vinyl with new, formerly unreleased live versions of some songs. Waits wrote those songs with his wife, Kathleen Brennan. Let's start with a song from Blood Money. This is Misery is the River of the World. All that the monkey can climb No more he shows his tail Call no man happy till he dies There's no milk at the bottom of the pail God built a church The devil built a chapel Like the thistles that are growing on the trunk of a tree all the good in the world you can put inside a thimble And still have room for you and me If there's one thing you can say about mankind There's nothing kind about man You can drive out nature with a pitchfork But it always comes roaring back again Misery is the river of the world Misery is the river of the world Misery is the river of the world Tom Waits, welcome to Fresh Air. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. No, th- this music started as a music theater piece? Oh, yeah. Originally, uh... This was a project done with Robert Wilson, uh, the uh, avant-garde theater uh, director. So this is the third thing that we've done with him. And um, the production was called Wozek, and this is the, these are the songs from that. Some of your uh, music writing seems influenced by the German songs of, of Kurt Weill. Have you listened a lot to him? Do you, do you feel like he's influenced your, your, your writing? Well, you know, I... Uh, I hadn't really listened to him until I had people tell me that I sounded uh, somewhat like him or had some uh, influence in there. So I said, well, I better start listening to this stuff. And uh, What'd you think? And I, uh, yeah, I liked it. Uh, it's really, uh, a lot of it's really angry. And uh, I, I guess I like, I like uh, beautiful melodies telling me terrible things. That's <laughs> well uh, put, yeah. So I, it, it, it works for me, you know. The arrangements for your songs are, are, are really good. Do you do the arrangements yourself? Well, I collaborate with my wife on the, the songs, and uh, 
every aspect of it, really, from composing and, and arranging and mm-hmm. recording all that business. So, um, you know, we have a, a rhythm and a way of working it. It's kind of like borrowing the same 10 bucks from somebody over and over again. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, when you live together, you know, it makes it a lot easier, the, the payback, you know. What, uh, what came first to you, for you being married or being song collaborators? Um, oh, I guess, uh, I don't know. I see my, you know, we started working together right after we got married, I think. And we, um, we got, actually, yeah, my wife had, had, uh, Fifty dollars on her, and I had twenty uh, when we got married, and it was a seventy-dollar wedding. So uh, she thought this is not a good way to start. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, we got married about one o'clock in the morning out in Watts, and it was uh, kind of a whirlwind thing. And um, the preacher was on a beeper, and um, but uh, it you know worked out. What was the music that you grew up listening to because your parents were listening to it? I mean, before you had, before you were old enough to choose music yourself, what was the music in your house? Mm. Uh, really young mariachi music, I guess. My dad only played a Mexican radio station, and um, and then you know uh, Frank Sinatra, and later uh, Harry Belafonte, and. Um, and then you know I would go over to my friends' houses and I I uh, I would go into the den with their dads and find out what they were listening to. And that's what I was really. I couldn't wait to be an old man. I was about, <laughs> I was about thirteen. You know, it's, I didn't really identify with my the music of my own generation, but I was very curious about the music of others. And um, I, I think I, I responded to the. This, the song forms themselves, you know, uh, cakewalks and uh, waltzes and bar mm-hmm. and um, parlor songs and uh, all that stuff. I, I think I, uh, which are just really nothing more than jello molds for music. <laughs> uh, but but I, I I seem to like the the old stuff, Cole Porter and um, you know Oscars and Hammerstein and. Gershwin, all that stuff, uh, like the melody. Now, you said your father listened mostly to the Mexican station and to mariachi music. Yeah. Was your father Mexican? No, my dad's from Texas. Uh, He grew up in a place called Sulphur Springs, Texas. And my mom's from um, Oregon. She listened to church music, you know, all that, Brother Springer, all those... (laughs) she used to send money into all the preachers, you know. And uh, but but the early uh, songs I remember was Abilene. When I heard Abilene on the radio, it really moved me. And then I heard, uh, you know, Abilene, Abilene, uh, prettiest town I've ever seen. Women there don't treat you mean. And Abilene, I just thought that was the greatest lyric. You know, women there don't treat you mean. Um, and then uh, you know, Detroit City. Uh, last night I went to sleep in Detroit City. And I dreamed about the cotton fields back home. I liked songs with the names of towns in them, and mm-hmm. I think I liked songs with weather in them. <laughs> uh, and something to eat. <laughs> so I, I feel like there's a certain anatomical uh, aspect to, to a song that I, I respond to. I think, oh, yeah, I can go into that world. There's something to eat. There's the name of a street. <laughs> there's a, okay, yeah, there's a, there's a saloon, okay. Um, 
So I, I think probably yeah, that's why I, I, put, I put things like that in my songs. I, I want to play another track from Blood Money, and this is called A Good Man is Hard to Find. This is Tom sure. Waits. Well, I always play Russian roulette in my head Seventeen black Oh, when I read How far from the gutter Far from the pew, I will always remember to forget about you. Good man is hard to find. Oh, let strangers keep him up here. That's a good man is hard to find from the new Tom Waits CD, Blood Money. He also has another new CD called Alice, and we'll hear some of that a little bit later. Now, I want to ask you about your, your voice. Um, you have a, a, a very raspy singing voice. Was that a sound that you um, uh, strove for, you know, that, that, that you uh, worked on having, or, or is it what naturally developed? It's that old man thing. Uh, I couldn't wait to be an old man. Old man with a <laughs> deep voice. <clears throat> um, no, yeah, I, I scream into a pillow. Uh, <laughs> was, was, say, Louis Armstrong an influence on you? Oh, God, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, uh, you can't ignore uh, the uh, influence of, of someone like Louis Armstrong. It's, uh, but this one, this, this, this uh, good man's hard to find was... Yeah, it was an attempt to kind of uh, tip tip my hat somewhat to that. Right. Yeah. Well, you actually sing in different kinds of voices on your new CDs. I mean, you have, like, yeah. your very deep, growly voice and then a, a lighter voice that you use. Yeah, well, uh, it's just, like, like, it's just a musical vocabulary, really. Mm-hmm, uh, you, mm-hmm. you know, you find the appropriate sound for the correct tune and uh, match them up. Yeah, you know, I like to scream, and, uh, you know, and I, I can croon, you know, um, all H- that stuff. Have you ever worried about hurting your voice by... Oh, I've heard it. Yeah, I have heard it. But I, I, I have a voice um, doctor in New York who, who used to treat uh, Frank Sinatra and various people. He said, oh, you're doing fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, that's uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, you once said that you wish you could have been a part of the Brill-building era in which people like Carole King and Lieber and Stoller mm. and Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Barry were, mm. were writing songs for singers and for vocal groups. What do you think you would have liked about that? Well, I guess writing uh, at gunpoint <laughs> sounds really exciting to me. Uh, those kinds of deadlines. Um, I went to a rehearsal uh, building on Times Square in New York uh, one afternoon and I, a really tiny little room. In fact, it was probably smaller than the room I'm in right now, which is a little larger than a phone booth. Um, There's just enough room for a little spin at piano and then you could just barely close the door and there you were. And it was 
uh, and you could hear every kind of music coming to you through the walls and through the windows and underneath the door. And um, you heard African bands and you heard like, uh, you know, comedians and uh, you'd hear applause every now and then and you'd hear tap dancers and, uh, and, and I, I think I just like the whole uh, melange of, of it, you know, the way it all kind of mixes together. Mm-hmm. I like turning on two radios at the same time and listening to them. I like hearing things incorrectly. I think that's, that's how I get a lot of ideas is by mishearing something. Tom Waits, you have two new CDs. We heard part of Blood Money. You have another new CD called Alice, which I believe, like Blood Money, also has its origins as a Robert Wilson music theater piece. Right, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, uh, done in Hamburg uh, quite a while ago, in 93, something like that. And what is Alice about? It's a hypothetical situation. um, Kind of imagining the obsession that Lewis Carroll had for uh, this young girl, Alice, and, you know, what what it might have been like inside of his mind and Victorian England and all that stuff. The beginning of photography, and he's, you know, a young gal, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, fever dream or whatever, kind of a virus of the mind. Why don't we hear the title track? This is called Alice. And um, if there's something you want to say to introduce it, that's great. And if not, we'll, we'll just hear it. Yeah, this is uh, Alice. This is kind of like the opening tune. And um, it's like a private moment. And it's like sitting in a chair by yourself, thinking about someone. Okay, here's Alice, the title track from the new Tom Waits CD. It's dreamy weather. We're on, you waved your crooked wand Along an icy pond With a frozen moon A murder of silhouette Crows I saw And the tears on my face And the skates on the pond Spell Alice. I disappear in your name, but you must wait for me somewhere across the sea. There's the wreck of a ship. Your hair is like metal grass on the Drops on my window and the ice in my drink. Baby, all I can think of is Alice. That's the title track of Tom Waits' new CD, Alice, one of two new CDs that he has. Did did you even as a kid like you know murder ballads and stories of depravity like <laughs> like you do now? Oh, oh yeah, everybody loves that. What are some of the things that scared you as a kid? Either that scared you in real life, or or, or movies, or, or music that you found frightening, interesting but frightening. Oh, I don't know. I guess like the the plastic covers on uh, 
uh, sofas always scares me. <laughs> the sound that makes when you sit down on a sofa that's covered with plastic crinkles and... I don't know. I, I used to watch Alfred Hitchcock and uh, The Twilight Zone. Uh, those captivated me. Um, those little tales. Mm -hmm. yeah. Monster movies. And monster movies, yeah, sure. Um, but, the, but you know, things that really scared me, I don't know. Uh, I guess, you know, I could conjure up just about anything and, uh, and, and scare myself, you know. If I heard a sound at night, you know, and then it would, it would get larger and larger and stranger and stranger and I would get, you know, afraid to get out of bed. And uh, I think I had a, some kind of a, of a disorder the way I heard things. I, uh, if I moved my hand across in the air, I heard like, whew, you know. Wow, really? And cars going by sounded like planes. And, um, and yeah, very small sounds in the house got enormous. And uh, But I think it was just a temporary uh, um, condition. Did you ever see a doctor about it? <laughs> They said they couldn't help me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, you dropped out of high school. Wh why did you drop out? Is there something that you wanted to do instead, or did you just hate going? Oh, I wanted to go into the world. Mm-hmm. You know, enough of this. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the ceiling in the rooms. I didn't like the, the holes in the ceiling, the little tiny holes and the, the cork board and the, the little, the, the long uh, stick used for opening the windows. Oh, God, yeah, we had one of those in my elementary ah, school, I yeah. I hated all that <laughs> stuff. I, I was real sensitive to my my uh, visual surroundings, and I, I, just, you know, I just wanted to get out of there. Did any adults try to stop you, either your, your, your parents or teachers? I had, I had good teachers. I had some, I, um, my folks broke up when I was about 11, and uh, so I had I had teachers that, that I liked a lot. Um, I, I kind of looked up to, and uh, but then they seemed like they couldn't wait to get out into the world themselves and do some, you know, banging around and and learning and uh, and growing. And, and so I, I I thought maybe they were encouraging me to leave. <laughs> so so did you succeed in in kind of getting out into the world, so to speak? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, What'd you do? Oh, yeah, I hitchhiked all over the place, and, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, What's the craziest ride that you got when you were hitchhiking that you would shudder to think about now? <laughs> uh, well, actually, I had some good things that happened to me hitchhiking, because I, I, I did wind up um, on New Year's Eve in, in front of a Pentecostal church, uh, and an old woman named Mrs. Anderson came out to the... I was stuck in a town with like seven people in this town and um, trying to get out, you know, and uh, my buddy and I were out there for hours and hours and hours getting colder and colder and it was getting darker and darker and finally she, she came over and she says, come on into the church here where it's warm and there's music and you can sit in the back row and we did and uh, um, they were singing and, uh, you know, they had a tambourine, electric guitar and a drummer and... <laughs> They were, you know, talking in tongues, and and then they kept gesturing to me and my friend Sam. They said, "These are our wayfaring strangers here," and uh, and they, so we felt kind of important. And uh, and they took up a collection. They gave us some money, bought us a hotel room and a meal, and, and um, 
we got out the next morning and we hit the first ride at seven in the morning and we were gone. It was uh, it was really nice. I still remember all that and um, it was uh, gave me a good feeling about traveling. Uh huh. Tom Waits, thank you so much. It's really been great to talk with you. Thank you. Oh, we're all done. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice to talk to you, Terry. Tom Waits recorded in 2002. 20th anniversary vinyl versions of his albums Blood Money and Alice have just been released. Coming up, we feature another interview with Tom Waits, this time from 2011. And Justin Chang reviews Tar, the new Todd Field movie starring Kate Blanchett. I'm David B. and Cooley. And this is fresh air. Life is brittle. Life's so brittle. And so fiddle. And life pays on. When the day breaks. And the earth breaks. Today, we're listening back to Terry's interviews with Tom Waits. It's the 20th anniversary of his two albums, Alice and Blood Money. Both albums are being reissued on vinyl. We just heard Terry's 2002 interview with him. Now we're going to listen to their interview from 2011. That year, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and had released his album, Bad As Me. It features guitarists Mark Rebo, David Hidalgo, and Keith Richards, who also sings on one track. Now, the last time you were on Fresh Air, which was back in 2002, you said that one of the reasons you... um, you wanted a, a kind of raspy voice when you sang, mm. is that when you were a young man, you couldn't wait to be an old man. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you mentioned like Louis Armstrong and how when you were, I guess, a teenager, you walk with a cane for a while to affect a certain look. And I'm wondering yeah, yeah. that desire to like be an old man, how's that feeling now? <laughs> now that like you're in your early 60s. Now that I'm an old man. Well, you're not um, an old man, but you're, you're closer than you were when you were in your <laughs> teens, that's for sure. Uh, well, I don't know. I, um, I guess I'm, I'm, I've always lived upside down. I want things I can't have. Um, my wife actually thinks that I have, have a, a syndrome. It's called reality distortion field. It's kind of like drugs, only you can't come back from it, you know. Reality distortion is, a, is almost a permanent condition. Um, so I guess to a certain degree, I, I, I did that with myself. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I did, I did want to be an old timer. Um, I thought they were the ones with the big stories and the cool clothes, you know, and the great hats and the, you know, I wanted to go there. You have a couple of songs about death on the new album and... Oh, about death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like one is explicitly about death, and one of them is kind of a metaphor for death called Last Leaf. Yeah. And, um, well, I don't know. You could say it's a metaphor for death, or you could say it's really a song about the last leaf on a tree, you know, because I, I did see a tree out in my yard that had one tree, one leaf left on it. Oh, really? And I and I and I looked at that leaf and I said, "Hang on, buddy. <laughs> if you hang on, you can make it to the next season. If you can make it to the next one, you might be here next year, greeting all the new ones. Hang on." But I, I remember saying that to myself, like I was talking to a cat, you know. Yeah. Um, 
But you know, my wife said, uh, "Oh, get Keith to sing on that." Yeah, this is and, Keith Richards, who's yeah. featured on guitar on several tracks and on vocals, yeah. vocal backup on this. Oh yeah, and and he, we we didn't even send it to him. We sent him another one called "I'm Waiting for My Good Luck to Come," and um, and when we we got together, he said, "You know, put that one on. Put on the Good Luck to Come." And I said, "No, well, listen to this one." So we put on Last Leaf, and he, he dug it. Um, he even brought a guitar that I had given him a few years back that he thought maybe I'd want to hear that, hear him play that guitar, you know. And, uh, but uh, it was great uh, working with him as a, like they say with with recording, it's either really easy or it's impossible, and and with him it's it's easy. So let, let's hear Last Leaf. Uh, this is from Tom Waits' new album, Bad Is Me. And it features Keith Richards on, on guitar and backup vocals. When the autumn wind blows, they're already gone. Flutter to the ground because they can't hang on. And there's nothing in the world that I ain't seen. I greet all the new ones that come in. I'm the last leaf on the tree And they all do the rest But they won't take me I'm the last leaf on the tree They say I've got staying power Here on the tree I've been Eyes and how I outlived even he. I'm the last leaf on the tree. They all took the rest, but they won't take me. That's Tom Waits with Keith Richards singing backup from Tom Waits' new album, Bad as Me. How do you and Keith Richards even know each other? Um, back in '84. 485, I don't know. New York, uh, we were doing Rain Dogs. And my wife uh, said, get Keith to play on this. So, God, no, I, I can't. I'm, uh, I'm not worthy. <laughs> she said, no, we get him. And it, one thing led to the other. And, and so, uh, you know, he was called, and then I, I was mortified and uh, embarrassed and they sent him the record, and he liked it, and he came down um, with a semi-truck full of instruments and a musical butler, and, you know, it was really hilarious. And um, and, and, and we played till very late, you know, and, and, and he played only four or five songs. And so I've stayed in touch and know him since then, and uh, nobody in the world like him. Uh, we wrote songs together for a while, and that was fun. I had never really written with anybody except my wife, so it was uh, unique and a little scary at first because um, he doesn't really remember anything or write anything down. <laughs> so you, you, you play for an hour, and then he would yell across the room, Scribe! <laughs> And I and I looked around. Scribe, who's the scribe? 
And then he'd say it again, and now pointing at me, scribe. <laughs> and I was supposed to have written down everything we said and dreamt of and, and played. And, and I realized that, that we needed an adult in the room. And I have never been the one that one would consider the adult. So it, it was it was an interesting dynamic, and I learned I learned to be a scribe. So um, there's a, another great ballad uh, on your album called New Year's Eve, and oh, okay. the song uses a line that you actually said in our previous interview. And oh, yeah. what you said in the previous interview was that sometimes. You used to listen to two radios at the same time because, oh, right, yeah. because you like hearing things incorrectly and you got a lot of ideas mm. by mishearing something. And, oh, yeah. and in, the lo- in the song you use the line, all the noise was disturbing and I couldn't find Irving. It was like two stations at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess, is that an image you've been carrying around for many years and it finally made its way into a song? That happens. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I've been carrying around. Um, the, the other line in there that I, I, I wanted to get into a song was, you know, you ever said to somebody, uh, just keep talking, but don't use any names. Mm-hmm. You know, like like two spies talking. You know? mm-hmm. Like you're talking about drugs or you're talking about uh, a woman or, you, you know. And, and I, I, that's how the song kind of began with just that line. And then we expanded it to, to uh, a litany of, trouble on New Year's and then it all then we all end up singing together in the middle of an evening filled with uh, you know a burnt sofa and a runaway dog and a a broken window and someone got arrested Um, well let's hear New Year's Eve okay okay well this is this is New Year's Eve from Tom Waits new album Bad As Me it felt like four in the morning what sounded like fire Just what it was The stars look like diamonds And then came the sirens And everyone started to curse All the noise was disturbing And I couldn't find Irving It was like two stations on at the same time That's, that's New Year's Eve from Tom Waits' new album, Bad As Me. Back, back in the days when you were living in a hotel or living on the road, yeah. um, did you ever imagine that one day you would be married for 30 years and the father of three? <laughs> no, I, no, I didn't. Uh, I, but I, I do remember uh, disciplining imaginary children in the back seat of my car. <laughs> why? Hold your horses, Bill. It's enough out of you. I, I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe I was uh, I was anticipating their arrival, and I was rehearsing. Uh, I don't know, but uh, no, you, you know, you, I I couldn't have seen that one coming. I, I don't know how much of our lives we can actually see coming. 
Tom Waits, recorded in 2011. We'll hear more after a break. This is Fresh Air. I was such a big fan of The Wire. Um, I have to... Oh, it, yeah, yeah. It used your song, down, uh, um, Way Down in the down Hole, the hole yeah. as, as the theme. And there were like yeah. you know different versions of it. You had a version, Steve Earle, um, yeah. the Blind Boys of Alabama. Um, Bunch of people. And, and, and then this group of Baltimore teenagers. Uh, oh, right, Dimaggi. yeah. So... Can you can you tell the story behind writing the song? It's a song about keeping the devil down in the hole. Down the hole, yeah. Um, I don't know what the or, or, origin of the song came, but it was very fast and uh, needing. He needed a gospel song for this collection of tunes that we'd written for um, Frank's Wild Years for a, a show you know, that, that eventually was done by Steppenwolf Theater in, in Chicago and. And then became uh, a record. Um, I, I, I don't know. We had background vocalists on, on it, which I dug. But the song happened fast. It was like, uh, I, I was probably thinking about um, Ray Charles trying to find one of those grooves that he lives in. And once I had the groove, then, then everything else just kind of fell together, you know. So I want to play two versions back-to-back -back of Way Down on the Hole, your version, oh, okay. and then also the version that was used for season four of The Wire, okay. which is the season set in part okay. in, a, in a junior high. So when when these um, this group from Baltimore, and like I say, all I know about them is that it's a group of teenagers from Baltimore. I don't know whether they assembled just for this recording or whether they're a pre-existing group, but um, did you work with them at all on this? No, I didn't, no. I... I uh they kept the song as a theme, and they kept uh, offering it to different groups to uh, rearrange for their own purposes. And um, I, I, I didn't have TV, so I, I didn't really uh, experience the wire until it was over, and I got tapes of it, you know, I and I, I became a huge fan yeah. uh, of the show and all of the people involved. In, after it was over, and I, I was really uh, flattered to be a part of it. Frankly, yeah. oh, it's such such a it works so great as a theme. So um, let let's hear your version and the right. Domaggi, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, correctly version back to back. When you walk through the garden. Watch your back Well, I beg your pardon Walk the straight and narrow track If you walk with Jesus He's gonna save your soul You gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole He's got fire and the fury To worry, hold on to Jesus, and we'll be safe from Satan when the thunder rolls. But you gotta keep the devil down in the hole. You were doing the good, alright? I saw you. Oh, yeah. That's Tom Waits' version of his song, Way Down in the Hole, and then the version that was used in season four of The Wire. and 
that theme was used throughout The Wire, and it worked perfectly, I have to say. Oh, cool. So I, I just want to quote something that you uh, told The Guardian, um, the oh. British newspaper, um, a few years ago in, in 2006. And um, you said when, that when you stopped drinking, you wondered, am I genuinely eccentric or am I just wearing a funny hat? What am I made of? What's left when you drain the pool? So I think it was like years mm. ago, many years ago, that you gave up drinking. What, what did you learn about yourself when, when the alcohol wasn't there anymore? Um, I didn't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> oh, like when you stopped smoking? Yeah, well, yeah, I was smoking one hand and drinking the other. Um, what did I learn? Boy, that's a big question. Yeah. If it's too big, don't feel like mm. you need to answer it. I think it's it's probably like the, the what my wife said about the reality distortion field that I uh, live in, um, which is kind of a place that you don't necessarily come back from. You know, maybe drugs and alcohol are more of a a vacation from reality. You know. Mm-hmm. They say that that life itself is really just the dead on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I hadn't heard that. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know. I, yeah. Am I just wearing a funny hat? Am I just trying to say weird stuff? Or am I really uh, peculiar and genuinely? Did you or, want to be peculiar? Well, I wanted. I've always wanted to be curious and 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 provocative, I guess, and 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 interesting, and 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 interested in 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 this uh, this kind of uh, sparkling, uh, uh, you know, sapphire we all call home. You know? I, I've always wanted to be mystified by it all, and 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 rather fascinated with. Uh, Life, life itself, and uh, I, and I don't know when you, you know, I think maybe when you drink, you are, you're probably robbing yourself of that genuine experience, even though what you, it appears that you're doing is getting more of it. You're getting less of it, and it takes a while on you, when you've had a rock on the hose like that for so long. It takes a while for the hose to be a hose again, you know, uh, and for things to start flowing. Like with songs, if you don't play for a while, if you stop playing for like even like a year, sometimes it all builds up in a really great way. Um, that there's no such thing as not playing. You know, there's just, you know, music has rests in it. So you're, you're, you're on a rest right now. And the music will begin shortly. You know, it's like an orchestra tuning up. I, I used to try and get myself started uh, I would take a, a tape recorder and I would put it in the trash can and I, the ones that are on wheels, you know, and I'd, I'd turn it on and then I'd r roll around in the yard with it and then play it back and see if I could hear any interesting rhythms, you know, that were just part of nature, you know. Or uh, I tell you, the best snare drum on earth is a trampoline in like November when all the branches have landed and they're heavy and they're wet and when you jump on the trampoline they all lift up and come down at the same time it's like wow have you it's used a, have you used those sounds on recordings i haven't but i intend to it was so great to talk with you thank you so yeah. much good talking with you too terry tom waits recorded in 2011 it's the 20th anniversary of his two albums blood money and alice 
which are being reissued on vinyl with new live versions of some songs. Coming up, Justin Chang reviews Tar, the new Todd Field film starring Kate Blanchett. This is Fresh Air. Our film critic, Justin Chang, says that Tar, which opens this week in theaters, is one of the most exciting new American movies he's seen this year. The movie won Kate Blanchett the Best Actress Prize at the recent Venice International Film Festival for her performance as a famous classical conductor named Lydia Tarr. It's the first film in 16 years from Todd Field, who previously wrote and directed the Oscar-nominated dramas In the Bedroom and Little Children. Here is Justin's review. By this point, we don't need any reminders of what a great actor Kate Blanchett is. But we have one anyway in her new movie, Tar. To play the fictional role of Lydia Tar, world-renowned conductor of the Berlin Philharmonic, Blanchett learned to conduct music, play the piano, and speak German. Not all at once, thankfully, though I'm sure she could if called upon to do so. A lot of movies about artists, even real-life artists, have a hard time convincing you of their character's accomplishments. But Blanchett makes you believe in Lydia's genius immediately, before we've even seen her pick up a baton. The movie begins in Manhattan, with Lydia in a lengthy onstage conversation with the New Yorker writer Adam Gopnik. This scene and others are a feast for classical music buffs. We learn about all the orchestras Lydia's conducted, the music she's composed, the films she's scored, the books she's written, and the many awards she's won. We learn about her devotion to great composers like Mahler and great conductors like Leonard Bernstein. At this point in the conversation, she describes what conductors do and how they shape and manipulate the flow of time. Time is the thing. Uh-huh. Time is, is the essential piece of uh, interpretation. You cannot start without me. See, I start the clock. You know, my left hand... It shapes, but my right hand, the second hand, marks time and moves it forward. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means that time stops. Now, the illusion is that, like you, I'm responding to the orchestra in real time, making the decision about the right moment to restart the thing or reset it or throw time out the window altogether. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time it is and the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. The writer-director Todd Field has a masterful understanding of time himself. Tar runs more than two and a half hours, but I found it mesmerizing, not just as a character study, but as a thoroughly persuasive portrait of the insular and competitive world where Lydia holds sway. While her work often brings her to New York, She teaches at Juilliard. She makes her home in Berlin with her partner, Sharon, an accomplished violinist played by the superb German actor Nina Haas. They have a young daughter, though Lydia is too consumed with work to have much family time. Lydia isn't just a conductor at the podium. She treats everyone in her life as if they were a member of her own personal orchestra, to be manipulated at will. That goes for the wealthy investor a terrifically oily Mark Strong, who's funding a conducting fellowship, and also her hard-working assistant, Francesca, who aspires to be a conductor herself. Francesca, played in a cunning turn by Noemi Merlon, also keeps her boss's less savory secrets, 
some of them involving the many attractive young female musicians Lydia's taken under her wing. That makes Tar a chilly study in the abuse of power, set in a classical music industry that has seen some of its biggest stars face accusations of sexual misconduct. Lydia may be the rare woman, and the rare lesbian, to have achieved global fame in a male-dominated profession, but she also enforces a certain status quo. She waves aside the idea that gender barriers have ever held her back. And there's an extraordinary early scene at Juilliard, where Lydia argues with a young student of color who scorns Bach, Beethoven, and other white male composers. Lydia rejects his wholesale dismissal of the Western canon, and insists that identity politics should have no place in the evaluation of art. You can agree or disagree with her, but it's hard not to admire the intellectual brio with which she attacks her students' argument, all while playing the opening prelude of Bach's well-tempered clavier on the piano to boot. It's been a long 16 years since Field made a movie, and for at least some of that time, he's clearly been thinking about some of the most hotly debated social issues of the day. But Tar is too subtly thoughtful and complex to be reduced to mere talking points, and Blanchett's performance also resists easy categorization. With her mix of charisma, ferocity, and occasional tenderness, she shows us both Lydia Tarr, the magnificent artist, and Lydia Tarr, the monstrous human being, and makes it impossible for us to separate the two. Lydia is due for a comeuppance, and she gets it. Or does she? A lot of people I've spoken to about Tarr were thrown off by the ending, even those who love the movie as much as I do. I won't reveal that ending, except to say that it filled me with a fresh wave of admiration for Lydia, a consummate artist even at her lowest, and for the brilliantly thought-provoking movie that brought her to life. Justin Chang is film critic for the LA Times. He reviewed the new movie Tar, starring Kate Blanchett. On Monday's Fresh Air, Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman. She's been covering Donald Trump since the 1970s and 80s when he was a rising real estate developer in New York City. Her new book is called Confidence Man, The Making of Donald Trump and the Breaking of America. I hope you can join us. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. For Terry Gross, I'm David Cooley. 